Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd. And tonight's episode is entitled, Everyday Horrors. And by that I mean, no matter what seems to occur within our daily routines, whether it be, oh, I don't know, running errands, getting that (laughs) quick workout in before heading to the 9 to 5, dropping the kids off at school, or, as in one of our stories tonight, just visiting the dentist. Misfortune, and I guess you could say dread, are always lurking in the background, so to speak. Pleasant thought, huh? <laughs> so, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Fear on Four and Quiet Please. Our first radio play is called A Day at the Dentist. And it was first broadcasted on Fear on Four on March 13th, 1988. Now this is a extended version and a, uh, I guess you could say a remake, if you will, of the three minute vignette written by the iconic Arch Obler for the classic horror radio series Lights Out which first was broadcasted on March 10th 1937 and it was also featured on Arch Obler's Drop Dead album which was released in 1962 following that is the radio play The Man Who Knew Everything and this was first broadcasted on March 6, 1949, on Quiet Please. And I have to say, this probably is my second favorite episode of Quiet Please, following the thing on the formal board. Because the plot takes a very unique talent, which the protagonist possesses and utilizes in his everyday life, and <laughs> turns it right on his head. And I love it. So. You all know the drill. Sit back. Turn down the lights. And listen to A Day at the Dentist. Followed by The Man Who Knew Everything. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once more to the place I have been calling my house of horror. There is another place, however, that many people, rightly or wrongly, regard as a house of horror. I mean, their dentists. Personally, I can never understand this dread of the dentist. After all, he's an expert with years of experience probing inside people's heads. All you need to do is to trust him. You're at his mercy, of course, but he doesn't want to hurt you. Unless, of course, he happens to bear a grudge against you. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, accept my invitation to a day at the... Yes, just a little more there and I've done. Are you still feeling relaxed? Uh, uh, it's good. Here we go, then. I must make a good job of this one, mustn't I? I don't want to think of my last filling coming. I wouldn't do it at all. No, no, no. You'll be buried with this filling, Mrs. Phelps. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Peters, but Mr. Charles is retiring this week. Well, didn't you get a letter? Well, yes, today. I'm sorry. I don't know how we could have overlooked you. A doctor... Yes, yes, he's giving up the house with a practice. Uh, uh, Dr. Maybury is taking over. A very capable man. Of course, Mr. Charles made sure of that, so if you'd like... Yes, yes, to phone on Monday, you'll be able to arrange with him. Yes, I am sorry. Oh, goodbye, goodbye. Can I help you? Uh, can you put me in this afternoon? Fillings come out. Well, I'm terribly sorry. But but I'm afraid... I know it's short notice, but I don't mind paying over the odds well over if you like. Well, it's not a matter of money, Mr. Uh, Houseman, Fred Houseman, I am on your books. Well, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Well, you I was ten years ago. I've never taken myself off, so I should still be there, shouldn't I? Do you mean to say you haven't been to the dentist? Yeah, uh, I've got perfect teeth. It's only this one. Well, well, I'm very sorry, Mr. Houseman. If you are on our list, you should have had a letter. I'm afraid Mr. Charles is retiring early. He's on his last patient now, in fact. If you'd like to ring on but, Monday... But it's only four o'clock. Surely you can fit me in. I'll pay, I'll pay. I'm sorry, but he gave instructions. Will you come in now, please, Betty? Ah, yes, Mr. Charles. I'll ask him, but I really don't think he'll have the time. Wait there, please. Amalgam, Betty. Three will do, I think. Now, I'm just going to put this thing around the tooth. A little wide. Uh -huh. All right? Uh -huh. Huh, Someone's yeah. just turned up wanting emergency treatment, Mr. Charles. I told him I didn't think he could deal with him, but he's very persistent. No, no, I really haven't the time. Not too tight? Mm -hmm. The removals people are due in the morning. I must help my wife finish off. Yes, of course. Is he one of ours? Well, he says he is. He had a filling ten years ago, but he hasn't been here since. Says he has perfect teeth. Has he indeed? So what does he want with me? Here we go, Mrs. Phelps, all right? Uh, yeah. Uh. He says the filling's come out. Can't have been one of mine, then. What's his name? Houseman, Fred Houseman. <gasps> I'm terribly sorry, uh, Mrs. Phelps. Careless of me, all right? Uh, uh, Nearly done. Fred Houseman. Do you remember him? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There we are. All done now. Oh. I'll just take this out. Now, bite gently. Again. Now, grind your teeth together. That's good. Again. Splendid. Now, just rinse your mouth out now. I'll finish off, Betty. Go and tell Mr. Houseman that I'll be pleased to see him. Are you sure? Oh, yes. Quite sure. Oh, very well. Mr. Charles says he can fit you in. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, you don't know where it takes for me to go to a dentist. You'd like to fill in this form? Hmm? Oh. Is that why you haven't been for so long? I tell you, my teeth are perfect. No. No, I, uh, I had a, a, a bad experience when I was young, you know. No, I'm not afraid of anything else, you know. I do everything. Rock climbing, potholing, and here I am in a muck sweat. Oh, ridiculous. You'd be surprised how common it is. Well, common it may be, but I'm not. I don't run with the herd, you know? No. May I have the form? Mm. Yep. Thank you. Mr Charles won't keep you long. He's just finishing. Oh, I hope so. Oh, can't stand the waiting. I just want to get the... Damn thing done with. If it makes you feel any better, he has a special technique. Don't you? I know about his technique. Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> he, he still doesn't use the needle, does he? Oh, Mr. Charles doesn't believe in local anaesthetics, if at all possible. No, what right, he does... Right, right. Is... <laughs> no, I, I hate 
the needle worst of all. Well, that's why I went to him in the first place. All my life, I've been obsessive about dental hygiene. You know what I mean? What, to keep the damn dentists away? And it did too. Till I broke a damn tooth. I must say, though, Mr. Charles did a good job. Ten years ago, that was. And I can still remember the state I was when I came in that door. I'm sure. Once I was sat in, sat in that chair. Oh, you know, somehow he, he got me relaxed, you know. Hypnotism, is it? What, what does he do? I, I really don't know. He says music is very important. Yes, well, I don't give a damn how he does it as long as he does it again today. Oh, Thank God I was in the neighbourhood. Oh, you no longer live here? But I, I've written it on here, haven't I? Epsom. Nice little place. Detached. Pony in a paddock for little Polly. That's my daughter. All my own work started off with nothing. No rich daddy for me, you know. <laughs> I thought you said he wasn't going to be long. Goodbye, Mr Charles. Oh, oh Mrs Phelps, if you just sign here before you go. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, should I pay now? No, no, you... I'll send you a bill as usual. Your letter will be forwarded on. Such a pity he's going. He's been so good. Dr Mabry is very highly spoken of, you know. Well, I hope he's half as good as Mr Charles. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs Phelps. Bertie? Uh, yes, Mr Charles. You can send Mr Hausman in now. Uh, very well. If you go straight in. Right. Ah, oh, Mr. Hausman, come in. <coughs> Look, uh, before you start, there's uh, something you ought to know. But I do, Mr. Hausman. What? I know all about you. You remember me? Oh, yes, of course. Well, after ten years? I remember you, Mr. Hausman. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did kick up a bit of a fuss, I suppose. You did indeed. I've never known such a bad case of odontoatrophobia. Is that what you call it? Fear of the dentist, yes. But I managed to get you to relax, didn't I? Oh, I still don't know how you did it. Do sit down. No, 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 no. Not there. In the easy chair. That's it. We'll um, talk for a while till you're properly relaxed. There's no hurry. You're not pushed for time, I hope. Nobody expecting you, waiting for you? No, no. Nobody knows you're here? No, no. Why? Well, you know, the relaxation process sometimes takes a little time. Sometimes people like to ring up their loved ones, tell them not to wait. It helps put their minds at rest. Oh, no, no, no. That's all right. But it only happened over lunch. What did? Oh, these are uh, filling for that. Yes, of course. Yeah. I was wondering how you'd managed to dislodge one of my fillings. Oh, a bit of chicken bone. It... In a health food restaurant, would you believe? <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show you never know where you're safe, do you? Don't try to relax. I'm sorry? You're trying to relax. I can see it. Oh, is that wrong? Oh, yes. It's the fear expressing itself. You'll not get rid of it that way. I'll tell you when to relax, though by that time you will be. You know, um, you really should have taken my advice last time. Now, what was that? I asked you to come back, didn't I? Well, there's nothing wrong with me. You've done the filling. Exactly. So I could have really got to work on your phobia in a totally non-threatening situation. Never mind, you're here now. Better late than never, eh? But, my goodness, you cut it fine. Another half hour and I'd have been back in the house with my wife. Do you have loved ones, Mr. Hausman? Yeah, oh, uh, well, I'm married, yes. Children? Uh, one, little Polly. Uh, I've got a photograph of Oh, no, you. please. No, pardon me, no. What was he like? So, a nice wife, a nice child, a nice little house, I expect. 
Where's that? Epsom, and uh, not so little, actually. Now, I see by your dress you're in fair way of business, if you don't mind me seeing so. Well, I'm glad it shows. Yes, I'm sure you are. like to wear your successes on your sleeve, don't you? Well, it's a matter of confidence. If you want to put yourself over... Look. Uh, <laughs> yes? Is all this necessary? I mean, I'd really like to get this treatment finished. Of course yeah. you would. That's another symptom of your anxiety. No, I mean, I'm a busy man, Mr. Charles. Not at the moment, though, are you? You just told me. Oh, no. No, no so it's just anxiety, you see. And that's what I have got to get rid of. You comfortable in that chair? Oh, as comfortable as I'd like to be in a dentist's surgery. Yeah. You'll get used to it. <laughs> so, um, well, what were you doing this afternoon? I'm sorry? Mm, you had lunch with a client, was it? or? Um... Yeah, with uh, a business contact. His treats, so I couldn't tell him I'd lost a fill-in on his damn chicken bone. Damn nuisance, actually. I'd planned to spend a nice afternoon in town. You didn't want to get back to your nice house, give your wife a surprise, take her some flowers, perhaps? What do you mean? We're just getting you talking, part of the process. Well, the, no, no. Well, I planned, since, since I was in town, I, I thought I'd, well, I'd walk through the park or something, in nice weather, you know? I know. It's nice to feel mm, fancy-free sometimes. Look, look, I've got a feeling... Yes? That, uh, well, you're getting at me in some kind of way, digging at me. Is that what you're doing? Is it annoying you? Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I think it damn well is. Why didn't I go home to my wife? And what was I going to do in the park? Look, I've come to get you to put your filling back, not good, to... Good, 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 good. Good, 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 good. It's not good that you saw through my little boy, but good that it's working. Ploy. Getting the anger out, or rather transmitting a little of the anxiety into anger. It loosens you, uh, you might say. It makes it easier to take it out, like extracting a tooth, loosening the root first before you... Please, don't... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just testing. No... Actually, I quite understand how pleasant it can be, especially for a busy man like yourself, to find yourself with an afternoon all of your own. It takes you back to your childhood, like playing truant, forbidden fruit, eh? You walk through St. James's Park, say, or oh, perhaps Hyde Park would be better. More chances there. Sun shining, no worries, no appointments, ready for anything that might come your way, is that right? You're trying to make me angry again. Yes. Yes, actually, I'm a happily married man with a lovely wife. Did I say you were? Look, I don't think this is working. What, Mr. Hustle? <laughs> this, uh... Therapy or whatever it is. How do you know it's not? I can feel it, can't I? Eh? I don't know what you did last time, but you didn't do it like this. It's not working. You're wasting my time and I'm being fed up. Forget the therapy. Just give me a new fill-in and be done with it. Shall I tell you what's happening now? Look, do you understand? I understand that you have no intention of sitting in that chair. Eh? Let alone letting me anywhere near your teeth. (laughs) What's happening is that your fear is getting scared feeling vulnerable. Do you know how they used to drive the devil out of people they thought were possessed? They taunt the devil to loosen him up, twist him this way and that, and to dislodge him. And when he felt his roots beginning to slip, that devil would get really angry. Then the exorcist knew he was winning. We don't call them devils anymore, of course. We use psychiatric terms for them. But the principle is the same. Get them scared and they get angry. Do you really think your phobia would let you get into that chair? No, he'll let you get almost into it. Then he'll find something else for you to get angry about and you'll storm out swearing to sue me or something. Nothing I can do about it. I can't put them in straight jackets, can I? They'll never go to a dentist again. They let their teeth rot in private. You want to leave? Hi. No, get on with it. Well done. So what now? Well, I think a little music. Music? Do you have any preferences? What music do you play when you want to forget unpleasant things? Yeah, about? I don't have much time for music. Oh, come on now. Everyone has time for music, if only it's wallpaper. Put it this way. You've taken a nice young lady out to a restaurant. Nice meal. Rather pricey. But you hope it's going to be worth the money. Taxi back to your place for a brandy to show her your collection of Toby jugs. What the hell? Sorry? How did you know? Know what? About my Toby jugs. Have I hit a bullseye? Well, I never. 
I must be getting onto your wavelength. That's a very good sign. Is it? Certainly. This is going to be a success, Mr. Houseman. After today, you'll never worry about going to the dentist again. I guarantee that. Yeah, I must have mentioned it last time. Yes, <laughs> of course. And I've held it in my unconscious all these years, waiting for this moment. Isn't the mind a strange thing? Well, then, you've got the lady into your nice little bachelor flat. This is before you married, of course. How long have you been married, Mr. Husband? Oh, uh, nine years. Hmm. So, there you both are, sitting on the sofa with a brandy or a scotch, wondering if the time has come to make the next move. You notice her eyes dart to the half-open door of the bedroom. You're not sure whether the expression in the eyes is apprehensiveness or anticipation. You decide to play safe and distract her with some music. Look, now, look, look. I don't think this is necessary. Mr. Houseman, <laughs> I have to ask that you trust me. It is necessary, I assure you. Well, I'll choose something for you. I've got quite a good selection of tapes here. Now, something old, ten years or so ago. How's this? I used to have that album. So, I've hit the nail on the head again, have I? That's good. Because you see, Mr. Houseman, there's an interesting parallel to be drawn between you, say, and your younger days, of course, before you became a happily married man with a sweet little child and a nice, not-so-little house in Epsom, between you trying to coax a young lady into your bed and me trying to coax a patient, you, for instance, into my dentist's chair. Think of the processes of dentistry. The prying fingers of a stranger in your mouth. What an impertinence. What an indignity. And then worse still, the dreadful machinery of filling, of extraction. Unclench your hands, Mr. Hudson. You have to talk about it. Yes, I do. Trust me. So you see, what am I to you but a potential rapist intent on assaulting your most secret, most vulnerable places? Some fool of a dentist mistreated you as a child, forced your mouth open, perhaps, regardless of your cries, to insert... He's <laughs> Don't try to relax. And now, here am I trying to persuade you into the same situation again. No fear, says your unconscious. You'll not catch me again. And however much I tell you that this time is different, that the past is over, that this time you might even enjoy it, your unconscious won't believe me. Because for the unconscious, the past is never over and the present is only the past happening all over again. Do you understand? Oh, understanding is one thing. And the emotions are another, I quite agree. I can't argue you into that chair, Mr. Houseman. I know that. And I can't do what that criminal idiot did all those years ago and force you. You're too strong now. And besides, I find the idea of that kind of forcing quite dreadful. No, I have to seduce you into my chair. Oh, you've got a job on? <laughs> oh, I have. But think back again to that night, that hypothetical night when you persuaded the young lady back to your flat to look at your Toby jugs. I've got a job on here, you might have thought. This is a tough nut to crack. On the other hand, she's still here. There was a time when she could have left after a quarter of an hour or so, after the first brandy. She's still here. Nil desperandum. And look, when you smiled, she smiled. When they smile with you, the battle's as good as one. Isn't that so? Yes. <laughs> of course it is. And now I'm going to ask you to try my chair. Oh, no. Yes. No, you haven't done anything yet. It hasn't worked. You think not? No, 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 you'll have to do better than that. You're right. I'm a tough nut to crack. But I have done something, you see. There's a change in our relationship. Haven't you noticed? You laughed with me. 
You feel more at ease. You feel you can trust me, don't you? Well, I suppose so. And I... so you can permit yourself to issue a challenge. You'll have to do better than that. In other words, whatever I'm afraid of, I'm not afraid of you anymore. I'm in control of events. I'm not a small boy here. I don't feel like letting you near my teeth, but if you think you can change my mind, you just go ahead and try. <laughs> isn't that the case? <laughs> I suppose it is. And isn't it the same with women? Hmm? When you sense that they're challenging you, the battle's as good as one. Yes. <laughs> so... Now I'm in a position to make you a request and a promise, which you know I'll keep because you trust me. And in any case, you're in control. The request is that you try out the chair for a moment. Uh, no, 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 not even a peek into your mouth. And the promise is that as soon as you say the word, you can go back into that chair again. Well? You won't look in my mouth. I promise. <laughs> Yeah, all right. <laughs> if you think it'll get you anywhere. Good. That's it. <sighs> Sit comfortably. Right. Legs straight, you're not on a horse. <laughs> and now I'll show you how it works. This is how we put children at their ease nowadays, you know. We treat the chair like a toy and we're all still children at heart. Apprehensive, but curious. This is how it goes down... <laughs> And up. And this is how it tips back. No, 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 no. No, no, you're thinking of its function. You don't need to do that. For present purposes, this chair is just a chair. Its function is to be comfortable. Is it comfortable? How can I make it more comfortable? Back a little? Up a little? Back a little. Like that? Is that better? Yes. A little more? No, right. Now, you're sure you're comfortable? What if it was just a chair? But it is just a chair. You're going to sit there and then you're going to leave it. Now, we're doing very well. Next stage, I want you to slip this on. Huh? What is it? Well, it's a sort of apron. It protects you. Oh, I... Mr. Hausman, do you trust me? Yes, yes. Of course you do. Now, just put your arms through... Huh? Never mind the tapes, I'll, uh, I'll bring them around here. That's right. Uh, just relax. Look, I think, I think I'd like to just... A minute or two, Mr. Hausman, just a couple of minutes. Excuse me, just a moment. Just lie there and relax. Betty? You want me in now, Mr. Charles? No, Betty, I've decided no treatment is necessary. What? We're just going to talk a little longer so you can go home now. Are you sure, Mr. Yes, Charles? Yes, quite sure. Don't bother to clear up. Just go. Drop in in the morning and we'll settle things. Very well, Mr. Charles. Oh, and Betty? Yes, Mr. Charles? On your way out, will you ask my wife to come to the surgery? Tell her I have a surprise for her. A surprise? She'll understand. I'll tell her. Thank you. Goodbye, Betty. Goodbye, Mr. Charles. Look what's going on. What? What do you mean, no treatment necessary? You haven't even looked in my mouth. Oh, that was just to get her to go home. Huh? She's a very conscientious... Well, why do you want her to go home? You can't do anything without her. Oh, I can, believe me. We're likely to be here for some time, you know. You wouldn't have the poor girl missing her Some time? I don't understand. Look, look, look. I want to get down now. Aha. Uh -huh. Do you hear that? I want to get down now. Straight from your childhood that came, that awful childhood when you got that nasty dentist. All right, get down. <laughs> I can't. I can't move my arms. The, the, the tapes have got caught or something. Oh, let me see. Oh, so they have. Ah, oh, that's Betty leaving. She's gone into the house to fetch my wife. You hurry up and get me out. Oh, look at that. The tapes have got all tied together. Get them untied, then. What, what, 
What are you doing down there? Just strapping your ankles, Mr. Hudson, <gasps> so that you don't kick there. This, 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 yes? This is a straitjacket. A uh, sort of straitjacket, yes. I had it made special. Oh, my God, nurse! Fatty! She won't hear. You can't hear anything in here from the house. And anyway, she's probably on her way home by now. And the, the windows are very well double glazed, as you can see. Don't worry. My wife will be here any moment. She's dying to meet you. What are you talking about? What the hell is going on? You let me get out of this. You let me go. It's no use struggling, you know. That thing's very strong. We've tested it. We? Oh, look, this is part of your so-called therapy. I've had enough of it now. I'm getting... I'm getting... Get me out! Please, may I get down? Get you stuck off with this. You let me out! Please, may I get down? Please! Please, may I get down? I get down. I don't feel very well. Oh, do you not? That's a pity. You're going to let me out? No. You promised! Promises are very insubstantial things, Mr. Houseman, as you know. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. God, this is a nightmare. Yes, you're right. A nightmare returned. It was somebody else's. Now it's yours. What's this about? Please let me out. Look, my wife knows I'm here. So she'll soon be on No, your way. wife knows nothing. No one knows anything. You told me so. Give me this chair, please. Look, look, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give you. Give you. Give you whatever you want. What I want, you can't give me, Mr. Houseman. What you owe me, you can't pay back. And what you owe my wife. What did you owe your wife? I was forgetting I struck off. You forget I'm retiring today. You're my last case, Mr. Houseman. Oh, be sick. Oh, I hope not. You do know my wife, you know. Or did once, in the biblical sense, as they say. Before you were married, of course. You don't go in for that kind of thing anymore. Well, you're a respectable family man, aren't you? With a nice little family and a nice big house in... Look here, I demand. Be quiet, I'm talking. Mr. Houseman, I'm not in a position to have to keep my temper with you. If you interrupt me again, I shall take this piece of machinery here and wedge your mouth open with it. And if you still make noises, I shall hurt you. Do you understand? About twelve years ago, it was. You may not remember the woman, Mr. Houseman. I dare say she was one of many. But you must remember the case. Case? Yes, I see you do. I was very distressed to read about it in the paper. I've always had a hatred of physical violence. It's what makes me a good dentist, I think. Made me. And that you'd actually got away with it. I knew you were guilty. I knew her, you see. As a patient... A sweet child. I knew she was not capable of such things as came out of the trial. And I saw the change in her. Her teeth were always good. But she took to seeing me regularly after it was all over, after she'd lost the case and thus been branded as a perverted woman. She knew I was gentle, you see, and she needed to remind herself that there was in the world at least one gentle man. And I was a good deal older. That helped. She could treat me as a father. She'd sit there in that chair, and while I pretended to examine her teeth, I'd talk to her, try to comfort her, though, of course, without alluding to the reason for her distress. Anyway, the long and short of it was... We married. It wasn't only pity... No, no. She attracted me. You'll understand that. Only, after that experience with you, there were difficulties. She couldn't bear to be touched. Not even by me. She told me about it eventually. A pleasant young man who took her out to a nice meal. How he persuaded her to drop into his place for a brandy and to see his collection of Toby Jugs. She was an innocent and soft music. And then the rest. And then the court case, her humiliation, his release, his crowing to his friends, spreading stories, yes, I heard. And then having to get rid of the child. Your child. Oh, my God. Did you know about that? To her, it was a sin. 
But she had to commit it. She'd have gone mad otherwise. A sin she paid for because afterwards she discovered that even if she could bear the physical contact, she couldn't bear more children. That's one of the debts you owe us. Then one day, in you came for a filling. I knew you, though you didn't know me. She'd pointed you out in the street once with terror. You sat in my chair, and I could do nothing. I asked you to come back, but you didn't. So I waited and prepared. <laughs> and here you are. I'm sorry. Look, look. If there is anything... Wait! Money. You haven't heard the best bit. A very strange thing happened when I told her I'd had you in this very chair. She said... What would you have liked to do? I told her, and her eyes lit up. That night, for the first time, I'd made a mistake, you see, with my gentleness. My innocent child... Your fault, Mr. Hausman. Fred. Another debt. We talked fantasies that night. Nasty fantasies. About you. And for the first time as we talked, she allowed me to touch her. And that's how it's had to be ever since. You've lived with us in our marriage, Fred, in a most intimate way. They were her idea. The straight jacket and the ankle straps. She wanted to feel that somehow, someday, her fantasies would take on flesh. And here you are. She won't be long now. She'll be preparing. it open wide. Splendid. Come in, my dear. See who's come to visit us. Isn't she beautiful, Mr. Hausman? Fred, isn't she... Why don't you loosen his clothing here a little, my dear? That'll do for the present. Now, where shall we start? You first, my dear. This is your treat. tomorrow. I hope that little tale won't cause you to cancel it. After all, it was only a story. Wasn't it? 
John Castle played the nasty Mr. Charles, and Mick Ford, the oh-so-unfortunate Mr. Houseman. Betty was played by Karen Archer, and Mrs. Phelps by Joan Matheson. A Day at the Dentist's was written by James Saunders, based on an idea by Arch Obler. The director was Martin Jenkins. My name is Edward de Souza, the man in black. And I hope you'll join me next week when I tell you a story that goes into the mouth in quite a different way. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper, and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called The Man Who Knew Everything. How do you do? <laughs> That's just a matter of speaking, isn't it, when I know perfectly well how you do. I know you're all right, except for the weather and all that. I, I should have said, how do you... No, I mean, good day. Yeah, that's better. I... Excuse me just a moment. I know who that is. Hello. Yes. Yes, I know. Why, the name of the mystery tune is Interlude Dramatique by Piero Coppola, who was formerly conductor of the Paris Conservatoire Orchestra. Thank you, I know. A brand new automobile. Two refrigerators. Yes. 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 Yes, I know. Yes, thank you, but you forgot a dozen pair of chromium-plated stilts. Yes, thank you. No, I'm not very excited, thank you. I knew I was going to win the jackpot. Yes. And send everything to my home. That's always the way it is. They're so surprised when I know the answers. I can't really help it, you see. I know everything. It's a little awkward at times, knowing everything. And sometimes I find it difficult to explain. You see, I never know anything until I think about it. My goodness, some of the things I think about. I'll be sitting here, for instance, just idling away the time, and all of a sudden I'll think, what is the square root of 777? It's 27.6747 plus. Ornamental, but hardly useful. Mr. Willis Cooper's telephone number in Chicago in 1922 was Buckingham 1570. Interesting. Mrs. Dorothy Neely of Woodland Hills, California, has a dog named Kilty, a Scottish terrier. Ernest Chappell went to North High School in Syracuse. Joseph Silverman of New York City speaks Chinese. I don't know who that is. Hello. Yes, I know it's the Weather Bureau. Tomorrow will be fair and colder, moderate to fresh northerly winds. You're welcome. You see? I'm continually bothered by people who want to know things. What is a tonka bean? 
What was President Rutherford B. Hayes' middle name? Where did I lose my diamond bracelet? What does Fatsibo Boshoi mean? The answers, respectively, are a South American product used for flavoring cigarette tobacco, Burchard, in the laundry hamper in your bathroom under your green uh, unmentionables. And thank you very much in Russian. Quite welcome, I'm sure. I said it's a little awkward at times. I mean by that it's, uh, shall I say, unpleasant. I shall say unpleasant. When I get to thinking about myself, I know all about me. Natch, as Mr. Murray Bull in the Pacific Palisades, California, often says, I am aware that my spleen is two centimeters too high, that I have a tendency to hypertension, and that I shall probably perish of an aortal aneurysm. However, don't let those ailments of mine bother you. I shall not tell you about them in any more detail. It was of yourself I wished to speak. And I hope you will bear with me. As a matter of fact, I know you will bear with me. <laughs> Excuse me, there is a gentleman at the door with a very interesting question. Come in. How do you do, Mr. Perry Bimforth of Pellyalak, Washington? You will sit down. My name is Clovis Feitelbaum. Your name is Perry Bimforth. You were formerly in the bicycle repair business in Pellyalak. You were convicted of barratry in 1934, but released on a technicality. In 1947, you broke your right ankle, and last October, you went through bankruptcy with liabilities of $83,000 and assets Never of... mind, never mind. I've heard about you. Obviously. But I came here to... To secure the combination of the vault at the Cordwainers National Bank on 13th Street. Exactly. The combination is... You better write it down. 11 left. Right 2. Left 16. Right 24. Left 6. Right 5. And open. Have you got it? Thank you very much. Are there any other questions, Mr. Bimeford? How much is there in the ball? One million six hundred and ten thousand dollars, sir. One million six hundred and ten thousand. Well, thanks very much. Any other questions? No, I think not. Very well. Good day, sir. Good day. That chap? Oh, a burglar. He bothered me to death. But I was starting to talk about you. May I go on, please? I know a few facts that I think you ought to know, too. Do you know these people by their descriptions? A tall, grossly fat man with a bald head. An absolutely bald head. Then an extremely unpleasant, deep voice. Just the trace of an accent. Probably six feet, six inches tall, weighed about 300 pounds. And a man and a woman with him. Both of them not more than four feet tall. The man, very fat, too, in a sort of unhealthy way, wearing a little black mustache. And the woman, short and dumpy, wears glasses, perched on a very sharp nose, has a very red face. Well, they know you. They were talking about you in a certain restaurant Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Does that give you any ideas? Please think. Let me describe them a little more. The tall, gross, cruel-looking man wore a tan gabardine suit with a white shirt and a knitted red and black tie. He was eating a breaded veal cutlet, I think. It was rather unpleasant watching him. The smaller man wore a blue serge suit, rather shiny, blue shirt and a bow tie. He was drinking beer, Pilsner Urquell. 
although he mispronounced it, he called it a quell. The woman has a very red face. It looked as if she drooped it all over. Sharp features, kind of modified holocon glasses, dark gray dress with an ornament that looks like a woman's hand. Rather like the hand of Fatima, but I'm sure it couldn't be that on this woman. A dark blue hat with a cup of Cali feather on it. You know her? Well, she knows you. I wish you'd search your memory. That really is quite important. You must excuse me a moment. Miss Tragosanth is coming in with the mail. Come in, Miss Tragosanth. Good morning, Miss Tragosanth. Uh, the safety pin with which you fastened your girdle when you broke the zipper this morning is open, Miss Tragosanth, and it'll presently stick you in the... It will presently stick you if you do not fix it. Thank you, Mr. Afton. That is one of the unfortunate aspects of knowing everything. But Miss Tragosanth is more or less used to my knowing everything. I noticed you start when she addressed me by my name. I am sorry. I should have introduced myself long ago here. We've been sitting and talking all this time, and... I'm sorry. My name is Charles W. Afternoon of Woodbury, New Jersey. Our ancestral home on North Drexel Street in Woodbury is one of the sites of the city. Ah, Miss Tragosanth has effected the repairs. She is returning. Come on, Miss Tragosanth. Thank you, Jackie. You're entirely welcome, Miss Tragosanth. I see you have only two letters today. Take a letter to Mrs. Grover Cleveland McNulty, the Dells, Oregon. Dear Mrs. McNulty, no... Yours truly. No, Miss Tragosanth, I do not need to see the letters. I know what is in them. The next one. To Mr. Marshall Birddog, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Dear Mr. Birddog, your great-grandfather's name was 13 Thumbs, period. He was a sachem of the Stone Boiler Indians in Upper Athabasca, comma, and was captured in 1812 and converted to the Shinto faith by a band of wandering Japanese fishermen, period. Paragraph. He escaped seven years later, comma, emigrated to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, comma, and became the father of a large family, which later removed to Albuquerque, comma. Although your great-grandfather deserted the Apaches near Anton Chico, New Mexico, comma, and resumed his former life as a sachem, period. Yours truly. There was another letter, Mr. Afternoon, but I lost... Never mind, Miss Tragosanth. It was from my Uncle Fred asking for money. Send him a check for $60 and give my best regards to him and Aunt Hilda. You have a cold, Miss Tragosanth. I hope I'll get over it. You will. It must be wonderful to know everything, Mr. Afternoon. People either get over a cold or they eventually die from it. I know that you are not going to die from a cold. Ergo, you will get over this one and all the others you may have, which, in your case, is 14 more before you die. What am I going to die of, Mr. Afternoon? Never mind. Please, Mr. Afternoon. I don't know. Yes, you do, Mr. Afternoon. No, I don't. Oh, Mr. Afternoon. I shan't tell you. Will I be murdered? No. Will it be an accident? No. Will I be hanged? No. Please go away, Miss Tragosanth. Oh, you're a mean, Mr. Afternoon. Where will I die? Will you tell me that? Why should I? Well, then, I wouldn't ever go there, see? Please go away, Miss Tragosanth. There's somebody at the door. Well, I think you... A meanie. Answer the door. I don't hear the doorbell. It will ring. There. Oh. Can I go out and get a 
understand Mr. Trackinson? You will, whether I give you permission or not. Oh. Miss Tregazant was going to die of old reading at the age of 81. That man at the door now. That's a policeman. It's Officer Shapiro, an old friend of mine. He's come to tell me that he has arrested the gentleman from Puyallup, Washington, Mr. Bimeforth. You remember? The man who wanted the combination of the bank vault? You thought I was being an accessory to a crime, didn't you? It was quite all right to give him the combination, you see. I knew the police were looking for him. I'd have told him, but he didn't ask me. You see, I do know everything. But generally, I don't tell, unless I'm asked. But, in your case... These people I was telling you about... Yes, I know you don't know them, but I do know you've seen them. Separately, perhaps. A tall, fat man with a cruel mouth and the eyes that always seem to be looking over your shoulder and yet never miss a movement. And a greasy little man with a black mustache and a heavy thing in his left-hand coat pocket. He's left-handed, you know. And a sharp-faced woman with the glasses with the mercurochrome stains on her right thumb and a brand new Corette handbag that has nothing in it but an ice pick. You wouldn't kid me, would you? <laughs> you can't kid me. What are you fidgeting about? You see? Remember this morning when you felt as if there was someone watching you? Then tell me something. Did your coffee taste funny this morning? You see? Maybe you do know them, after all. No, Miss Tragathant, I don't want you to fetch me a sandwich. She's going out to have a peanut butter and chutney sandwich. She usually has a cream cheese and spam on Russian rye, but she's changed her mind today. By the way, wasn't that door to your bedroom open? You didn't close it. No, I wouldn't go look yet, if I were you. Matter of fact, I wouldn't like to be you. No, I don't know exactly what is going to happen, but I'll know when it does happen. I find it rather difficult to predict happenings, except, of course, perfectly obvious things, like my secretary dying of overeating at the age of 81, and my own demise of an aortal aneurysm, but I'm not sure when that will occur. And your own case. I know that something rather dreadful will occur to you. And I naturally want to warn you about it so that it won't come as a complete surprise to you. There's nothing I can do about it except warn you. Incidentally, the windows in that room could stand a washing. No, don't look. You might see something you don't want to see. Listen to me. This tall, gross man I told you about, he limps slightly in his left leg. A knife cut. He's unhealthy, too, has ulcers. The way he eats fried food. But he's quite dangerous, not a nice person at all. And those accomplices of his. The woman's name is Mamie. Recognize that? Mamie? I don't need to tell you her last name, do I? Or have you forgotten it? Mamie and her ice pick? 
The little man? Oh, he has several names. No, I'm not trying to kid you. I just don't think it's a good idea to tell you right here in front of everybody. Oh, well, lean over here and I'll whisper it to you. One of his names is... You know him now? Uh, he didn't have the mustache maybe then, but... You'll recognize him by it now. A little mustache, kind of like Hitler's. You wouldn't forget Hitler's mustache, would you? Always carries a book. He had it on the table beside his plate Wednesday night, and the cover got all stained with beer. He's a little sloppy, isn't he? That's Judge Rodney Erickson. He's trying Clapper Claude Duddy. You know, the gangster they're accusing of putting his enemies in the deep freeze up in Connecticut? Hello, Judge Erickson. No, Clapper Claude Duddy is innocent, Judge. It was his lawyer that did it, Ollie Fox. Hang him, Judge. Issue a bench warrant and he'll confess. Clapper Claudotti really was in jail in Michigan when it happened. Ollie Thorpe did it. You're welcome, Judge. Always ready to help out justice. Yes, Miss Tragasaf? There's a man to see you. I know it. Oh, darn. Can I ever tell you anything you don't know? Of course not. This is a tall, fat man. With a heavy face and eyes that don't match, and he's wearing a brown gabardine suit. And he says he saw you in a restaurant. Wednesday night. You will show him in, Miss Tragasaf. Come in, sir. How do you... I mean, hello, Mr. Ducroft. I want you to know something, Mr. Afternoon. I already know it. My right name is not... My name is not Amadeus Wolfgang Ducroft, but that is the name you are using at present. It is so. I have a message for me. I will tell you the message. Of course. You are in communication with a certain party. I am? I want to warn you... Get away from that keyhole, Miss Tragasan. You want to warn me that I must not communicate further with this certain person. Party. I'm sorry. Then I'm afraid that I shall have to take steps. You mean kill me? That is what I mean, Mr. Atkinson. You will not kill me. Oh, yes, I will. Sir, I beg to differ with you. You will attempt to kill me, but your gun which you are carrying in your hand with your broad-brimmed Texas-style hat will misfire. And Miss Tragosant will call the police but you'll escape before they arrive. You think so? I know so. No. But yes, mister. Let's see if the gun will miss fire, then. Now, you see? Please for coming, Mr. Afternoon. They'll be here. You'd better run, Mr. Ducroft. Well, for heaven's sake. For a fat man, he certainly can move fast. <laughs> yes, indeed. Too fast, I'm afraid. The police are arriving, Miss Tragostant. Kindly tell them they won't be needed. Yes, Did you recognize his voice? When you hear a knock at your door, and you ask who's there, and you hear that voice again, well... By the way, perhaps you'd better double lock your door. He's quite powerful, and as Miss Tragosant says, he moves fast for a fat man. There's a car driving away quite rapidly down the street. I could see it from the window, but I don't need to. I know who's in it. The woman with the sharp features and the little man with a Hitler mustache. And the man who calls himself Ducrot. You don't know where they're going. I do. I know everything. I even know why they're after you. 
even if you can't think why. You could think why if you wanted to. There isn't much time left. It's 5.50, Miss Tragosan. What time is it, Mr. Archie? No, there isn't much time left. And it isn't far to your place. Besides, they've been there before, you know, and they know all the shortcuts. I think if I were you, I'd put something against the door. If you only knew what I overheard in the restaurant Wednesday night while a tall, fat man talked. A tall, fat man with a cold, killer's eyes and a gun that won't miss fire the next time. And he's taking care of that. And I would have frightened you a great deal more if you'd heard what he said to the woman he calls Mamie. A woman with a brand new Corette purse and nothing in it. But an ice pick. And what the little greasy man said to him, the man in the blue serge suit with something heavy in the left-hand coat pocket. It frightens me, and I'm not easily frightened. And then, a tall, fat man coming to see me. I didn't expect that. Even if I did know who he was when he came to the front door. I know what he's got in his pocket. What the fat man's carrying. A coil of piano wire. And I know what they're talking about. Right now. As they drive along on the way to your house. Don't you know? Can't you figure it out? Don't you know what they want? I do. Think, won't you? No, I don't want to tell you. Don't be obstinate. You do know who they are, all three of them. Don't answer the telephone if it rings. That wasn't your phone. It was mine. It's the police. Just wait a second. Yes, Officer Drucker. Listen this afternoon. I hear a fella got away from the boys at your place a little while ago. Tall fella, fat, with a big stitch in the hat. You called the police, didn't you? That is quite true, Officer Drucker. He tried to shoot me, but he escaped. He is in a car with two other persons, a man and a woman. How'd you know? And he ran down an old man and a corporal in the Air Force at the street intersection. The old man's dead. And the corporal has internal injuries. He will survive. It's a hit and run thing. Yes, I know. Why, no, Officer Drucker. I, I haven't the faintest idea. I'm sorry. I don't know. I had to do that. Now, you don't want the police in on this, do you? No, of course you don't. I think they're getting ready to go out. They don't want to get involved in this. I'm sure I don't blame them, not after what I heard Wednesday night. No, it's too late for you to go out. You wouldn't have a chance, you know that. The time's getting short. If I were there with you, I might be able to help. Why do I say that? I know I could help you. But I'm not there, unfortunately. And please don't call the police. Stay away from the telephone.
don't think it's possible, but don't be too sure. Wasn't there a drawer open when you came home yesterday? A drawer you thought you'd closed. Remember when you woke up in the middle of the night, Friday night, and wondered what it was that woke you up? Sure. Are you frightened? I'd be, I know. Because you don't know what's going to happen. That's why you're not so scared. But I know what's going to happen, and it scares me. It scares me to know everything. You have no idea of all the things I know, frightening things, funny things, strange things. What dogs talk about and how to make a Pisco punch. What's hidden in that cave under Radio City in New York. The beach where Captain Kidd buried his treasure and how much it costs to put an ad in the London Daily Mail the size hat that Stalin wears. And what Miss Tragasant wants for Christmas next year. How I'm going to die sometime of an aortal aneurysm. The name of the mayor of Peoria, Illinois. And, and what's going to happen to you? A tall, fat man. A little, sharp-featured woman with glasses. And a little man with a Hitler mustache. And the presents they're bringing you. You do know them, don't you? Come in, Miss Dragosan. You brought the letters for me to sign. Thank you. Ah, that'll be all for today, Miss Dragosan. Why, what's the matter, Mr. Rathmine? I don't feel good. You're getting a cold. No. Ah, thank you, Miss Dragosan. You can go now. I'm busy. Yes, I had to get rid of her in a hurry. I've got something more to tell you. You've only got a few more minutes to wait. I, I hope you're ready. Listen. There's not somebody outside your door now. Listen closely. Listen. Ouch. Look. I'll tell you what to do. There's only one thing that... Oh, I feel dizzy. Only one thing you can do. They're at your door now. Did you put something against it? I told you about that. By the order of aneurysm, I'm afraid. Oh. All you have to do, they're at the door. All you have to do is... Oh. My chest. You just take... Just take... It's come. It's come. Help. Miss Trag... Help. Well, I was just going home, Mr. I'm, I'm trying to tell... Oh. What can I do? What should I... Too late. Can I get some water? Help. All you have to do, they're at the door. They're, they're coming in. J just take it. Oh. I'm sorry. To, we got to take two. Me. The door.
title of today's Quiet Please story is The Man Who Knew Everything. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And others in the cast were James Goss, Arthur Cole, and Gene McBride. Music for Quiet Please is by Albert Berman. Now for a word about next week, here's our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet Please. Next week, for all my Irish friends, I have a story for it called Doc Rosalie. And so, until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. And now, a listening reminder. In just a little while, you'll want to hear the predictions of things to come that will come your way from Drew Pearson. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello, make a request, a suggestion, a even a critique, please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel. Please check it out. Share with a friend. Like the videos. Subscribe. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>